start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. Streaming live from Taos, New Mexico. Here is Dr. J. Allen on Safety FM. Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida. Here is your host, Dr. J. Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Well, hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. I hope you are doing well and enjoying this summer of ours that has already started. Currently, we are burning up here in the good old state of Florida, but it is what it is. That's what you get when you have sunshine year round. Anywho, how are you? How are things going? How are things in your neck of the woods? Well, if you haven't heard, let me be the first one to share with you. We are taking the show on the road. And we have been requested to take the show on the road for quite a while now. And we've done it as a couple of keynote speeches and things to that extent, but not really taking it out where that's the main focus. So what we are doing right now is we are taking the show out on the road. If you take a look at safetyfm.com, you'll see some information there referencing that we'll be in the Houston, Texas market towards the middle of June doing a workshop and a recording of the podcast. And then the other portions, we have one coming up in September, if I have that correct, in Denver. So just come to the website, take a look at what we have to offer. We are excited about doing the roadshow, especially tying it into a workshop. But let's not talk about that. That's something that you'll have the opportunity to come out to if you want to and become part of the workshop and then be there for one of the recordings that we do. But today we have the great opportunity of interviewing Eldine Posniak. Now you've heard the name and I'm sure you've seen the face thousands of times because she's everywhere inside of the safety industry of ours. If you hang out on LinkedIn from time to time, I'm sure you've seen it. So let me tell you a little bit about Eldine Posniak. She's a management consultant specializing in occupational safety and health. Overall, her work experience is vast within various structural and cultural components of safety management systems, direct consulting to organizing businesses, industries, and government agencies in providing creation, development, implementation, and measurement of health and wellness, safety management systems, program strategies, and cultural components. So as you can see, it's a mouthful because she does a lot of work. But what I want you to do is enjoy the conversation that we have with Eldine Posniak here today on Safety FM. 
It begins in Orlando, Florida and travels steadily to the West, beaming across North America and planet Earth and into your head. The world of safety never stops. And now, the Safety FM podcast and broadcast with Dr. Jay Allen. You are listening to a renowned safety expert, Dr. Jay Allen, on Safety FM. Changing safety cultures, one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Join the fun on social media and find us on Facebook at Safety FM. When I was knee-high to a grasshopper, this is how I started. Well, I mean, and so I have to tell you, I started looking at doing some research on you, trying to find out some information and of course, everybody will always have that opinion that you're an overnight sensation, but you're an overnight sensation that's been doing this for quite a while. And I see that you have a love for education and a love for safety. So did you go off initially to become a professor, teacher, educator, or how did it all start? Um, <clears throat> how did it all start? It, it all started out with a love of people. Um, I, I think that would be the best place to kind of put it, um, is my, my philosophy has been and always has been, it's about moms and dads and sons and daughters, husbands and wives and brothers and sisters being able to go home at the end of the day. And I guess I had some of my own uh, personal journey that put that into perspective for me. And uh, when I started out in my career, you know, at, at a high school, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be happy. I want to do something that I like. I want to do something with people. I want to travel. And my dad said, good for you. Um, but you got to have broader aspects than that. You got, you, you've got to hone it down to, to something that'll get you to that. And um, so I, I actually went into psychology because I thought I could help people. And, uh, and part of helping people is educating people and giving them skills and knowledge and built-in capabilities uh, to uh, also help themselves because who can help people better than people than 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 themselves and then um, so that's what I did I went into psychology and I realized wow people are crazy and <laughs> I wanted to I didn't wanna, did not think I wanted to do that for a while and, and I guess part of it was where I kind of honed in uh, my first jobs in psychology it was you know a suicide hotline it was working at a federal psychiatric institute it was I literally was working with people who really 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 needed help and um, starting out in your uh, psychological career that way it doesn't often hone or bid well especially when you don't take self-care when when this stuff affects you more than than it should and um, yeah <laughs> and so I, I, I went on from my journey from there. So uh, in, in the recent years, I've really focused more on on giving people, again, capabilities, uh, competency, skills, information, uh, some ability to be able to practice this craft that we call occupational health and safety in a, in a better way. Learn from my mistakes or take my learnings and hopefully put it into a, a Cliffs or a Coles Notes <laughs> version to help springboard them into curiosity so they want to learn more, so that they want to uh, become better at 
um, this this uh, profession that, that we call health and safety to, to make a better impact, to make a bigger difference, to um, look at things in, in different ways. And, and so it kind of led me to... Um, Definitely the public speaking that I'm doing and, and work uh, workshops uh, to working with uh, the University of Fredericton now. I, I've, I've worked with, with a few institutes along the way. SIAST um, or SAS Polytech as it's called now, University of Alberta, University of Saskatchewan, um, and to help people get the information and skills that are necessary, uh, not only necessary, but are kind of at times even leading edge. Um, to to do what again is my goal: moms and dads, sons and daughters, husbands, wives, going home at the end of the day. And let's get, let's go into some of the detail that you went into there. So, when you started off as a, going into psychology, was it what kind of psychology were you going into? Was it industrial, and organizational, environmental, industrial? Was it more of wanting to help people directly, or what were you looking at at the time? It, it really balanced between the clinical and counseling psychology and the industrial psychology. I kept being drawn into more of that social aspect of, you know, how does the paint color in an office building affect people's um, uh, uh, mood that day? Or uh, if if people had these types of leadership skills or talked to a group this way, how would that have an effect? So uh, even though at the end of the day, I, I got a job more in that clinical and counseling aspect, I, I Throughout my my University of Saskatchewan uh, education, I kept being drawn into these sort of sociology, industrial psychology aspects, and which I'm finding that I use all of that now in in how I deal with health and safety. Everything from the clinical and counseling, I, I, I sometimes think that uh, as safety professionals, we are sometimes that person where the almost uh, I found it can be a confessional in a in a workplace, oh, I did this, I don't know what I'm gonna do, okay, here's how we can fix this. Um, to, you know, group dynamics and leadership and emotional intelligence concepts uh, and how that, that plays within an organization. So, um, yeah, it's amazing what you, you think, oh, I'm gonna leave this behind and I'm gonna go do this now. How sometimes when you look back, you realize it was just a stepping stone to give you the, um, what you have and what you're using today. So as you're going through this whole path and through this journey and all of a sudden you're using these concepts from your past and now you're you're using them on a, on a bigger platform, do you look back and see that one gave you more advantage than another? Do you look at it and going, well, being a consultant has helped me more than working inside of a university or do you look at it from a different aspect altogether? It, 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 it brings... Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, my, my gut instinct to, to answer that is, is it's helped with my big definition. I have in health and safety heard one thing more than any other comments um, is Elgin safety's common sense. If people would just use their common sense, we wouldn't have to do all this safety uh, stuff. Um, (laughs) You can say whatever you want. We are on internet radio, so you're perfectly fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and I realized after a few years of thinking everybody was really silly or stupid or didn't have a lot of common sense, I realized, no, it's just people's definitions. And, And so I find that everything that I've experienced in my 39 plus years. We'll just leave it at that. Um, 39 and holding. 39 and holding. Got it. <laughs> yeah, 39 and holding. 
I'll never have more than 25 years of experience in health and safety. So I'll never be over 39. So anyway, uh, over the years that all those things have, have helped me um, solidify my definition, my definition of health and safety, all the things I've experienced, have been exposed to, uh, every class that I went on, every, every job that I've taken, all the people that I have talked with, interacted with, they've all helped shape my definition to how I see the world today. And, and some of the, the things that I was doing at the time I found to be positive. Some things I found to be opportunities for learning or had a more negative influence. But all of those have shaped my outlook, my definition set, my common sense of today. And, um, and I, I think that it's built me to be a, a better safety professional, um, whether I'm have my consulting hat on that day, whether I have my educator hat on that day, whether I have my keynote speaker hat on that day. Um, it helps me be genuine, bring real concepts to health and safety and not be just academic or theoretical uh, and and hopefully touch the minds and hearts of the people that I'm interacting with, however that may come about. Well, and I'm sure that you probably run into that quite a bit because, of course, when people start looking into your background, automatically they're going to know that you're, you know, that you've been involved in the industry. They're going to notice that right away because of name recognition. Number two, they're going to know that you're an academic. Based on just background research on you, it's relatively easy to find and relatively quick to find. But when you look at it and you go into an organization and you're doing that, that initial meetup, do they look at you more as an academic or do they look at you as someone who has real life experience? Um, <laughs> it, it, it's funny when you said academic, it was like I almost had a hard time identifying with it because I've been in places where um, academics don't call me an academic and where um, uh, they'll call they'll say, you know, more you're more a practitioner, a professional, a consultant, and and I'll be in the professional consultant role, and they'll call me more of an academic. And um, I think what sometimes differentiates me from an academic is how I uh, how I speak, how I put my presentations together, how I get up on a stage, uh, and it, and people will say, oh, she's too. She's too casual to be an academic, to have that academic background or to look at research-based information and provide it in, in, in such a way that she does. Um, and, and so uh, when, you, when you say that, it just it makes me put on this big smile and, and, and takes me aback a bit because uh, I remember getting that feedback one day from a highly respected academic in the health and safety world was, well, it's okay, you're, you're not really an academic. And, and, uh, and, I, and, and that was the comment. It was just how I present is so much more casual than a very factual presentation that's maybe in more of a monotone voice. Or <laughs> oh, you're being, extre- you're being extremely nice. You should just say it like this. Your presentations are fine and other people that are academic normally can be boring. And I can say that and get away with it. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just remember when I was in university and I remember going through classes as an adult and I, I remember going to some highly respected individuals within um, organizations in the profession. And I thought when I left there, oh, someone just stabbed me with a fork because that <laughs> might wake me up. Right. Like 
how how much of this information was retained now i i got these things because i i always reflect and and i'm fairly self-aware so i would reflect and go okay i retain these things um and this is what i got out of it but i was highly interested and i really had to work to pull stuff from it and and so um and some people that resonates with they need to sit in a room that's highly organized and structured and the information has to be given to them in such a way i guess that i've worked so much in the field with individuals that um a lot of a lot of people don't want their information that way they want it like they watch tv they want it uh that if they don't like it very quickly they change the channel and so i've learned to get people's attention to try to keep people's attention put information in a way that they'll understand uh and be able to uh, act on it right that it motivates them influences them and and sometimes the things i say take people a bit by surprise but whoop, now i got their attention and once i get their attention now how do i put the information in such a way that's going to keep it first for people who are structured individuals um have a personality type that might be more of that introverted um structural uh, analytical kind of mind they may need more statistics and and uh structured information and that's okay i try to identify when i have those people in my room or i'm talking to those people i'll switch how i communicate um to meet their needs but i i find when i'm in a room with more students or if i am in a at a conference with a keynote that have 5000 people in the room if they're all academics i will tone my <laughs> my presentations down if they're not then i'm going to bring it up a bit because I, i do want people to have some fun to be engaged to go what what did she just say how does that apply oh so it 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 promotes more um uh creative thinking um creates a curiosity gap because as soon as people have a curiosity gap they they want information to fill it so i guess that's kind of my my approach so yeah i try not to be the um dull boring taskmaster. Well, I mean when when you have a presentation that's called 11 and a half points of BS to leadership, you're definitely not trying to be the typical um the typical presenter there for sure. Right, cuz you know that the BS means being safe. <laughs> well, depends on where you find it depends where you find it online. Some some places say bold strings and some other places said, well, you know what it said. <laughs> <laughs> But again that, that that's the part of getting people's attention and and I've had some workplaces and I've had some conferences that you know they they say we like your concept you you got to change the title and I changed the title um other conferences they they want that they they want to be able to to grab people's attention and 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 take it forward Well, I think starting off with that, you'll definitely get people's attention. So, as you know, as we go down the path of safety, there's always the question that comes up of what version of safety do you teach or do you believe in or however you want to word it. So, what side of the house do you see yourself in? Do you, what cat what what do you categorize as safety? Oh my gosh. Um <laughs> I know. I li- I like to ask the odd questions. 
yeah. Well, and you know, and it's a timely question. I'm I'm going into a presentation next week, actually, where they're wanting me to talk a, a bit about traditional safety aspects and and how that matches or doesn't match with safety differently, safety 1.0, 2.0, and and so forth. And um, and, and I think when you have uh, so many different safety professionals writing books and and out on the on the, the stream that's there and, and is that you have to be able to look at everything from the good old bird um, <laughs> traditional loss control approach which is still being taught out there to, you know up to uh, some of the the newer concepts um, <clears throat> Personally, I guess maybe because of my psychology background, when behavior-based safety came into place, I went, wow, you can tell a behaviorist didn't say this is what we should title it because they would have known that that was a bad title to give it. As soon as you tell people you don't like their behavior or that we're going to look at their behavior, they automatically shift it to a negative connotation. Uh, at least a large percentage of the group will do that, especially based upon their own definitions that usually as children, we were told, you know, be, be good, don't be bad. Your behavior isn't the best. And so um, I, I think a lot of the concepts that we, we grew into with BBS, um, I think had some good components to it, had some good philosophy with it, but maybe the title was bad. <laughs> um, it put a bad p- taste in people's mouths before we even talked about the concepts that were there. And now as we're going into more of the positive reinforcement and the engagement and the um, aspects of safety differently and safety 1.0 and uh, 2.0, uh, I-, I think that that's where we've matured and clarified that we need to talk about what motivates people and we have to engage them appropriately and not only look at the negative aspects of health and safety, but focus on uh, more positive aspects that are there. I, I think that it's it's sort of a maturity um, in our profession to how we look at those those kinds of aspects. So, am I a, a true Heinrich girl um, with the pyramid and and uh, philosophy? No, I, I think we've outgrown that as a safety profession. I think we need to look at it and and see why we believed in that and why we thought that that was a, a good way of expressing health and safety at the time. Um, there might be still some components that we can can talk about, um, but it's probably not where I where I uh, hang my hat at the moment. I'm probably more into the uh, positive safety culture engagement um, aspects. I, I'm, a, I'm a Dan Peterson fan. Uh, Dan Peterson was a safety professional out of the United States, passed away a few years ago. He's written some amazing books, but um, I, I really believe in uh, in systems theory uh, where you need to have a balance of structure and culture. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, Andrew Hopkins, one of his last articles, uh, even kind of speaks to that aspect is, you know, that you need to have good structure, you need to have good culture. And and Dan Peterson had a a wonderful visual that basically said the organization was in the middle with all the people and management and processes and and within their system, how they did things, how they set things up. You had to have a good safety structure, policies, procedures, standards, and you had to have a good culture, how people do the work when no one else is watching and when people are watching. Because each one affects each one. It's this little cycle of 
of um, influence that's there. But if you have the balance that's right with the right components, engaging people, identifying hazards, risk controls, basics of safety, um, identifying traps to, um, to human factors that sometimes organizations build in. But if you balance everything out and you have it set just right, no matter who you put one into what situation, at the end of the day, you have safe, sustainable business. And so I guess if I was to hang my hat on any theory, it would be some of that Dan Peterson had way before his time that we're now seeing reflected in more modern engagement and um, in theories in health and safety. Right. And I know that when I ask that question, it almost comes across sometimes about which one's right and which one's wrong. And that's really not the approach. I mean, I just look at it as things evolve as, as you're saying, but you have to almost look at it too, is that behavior-based safety is really what a lot of us understood coming into the profession where that was kind of like the coup de grace of everything at the time. Oh. It was like, this is the way to do it. Now, there was some context, at least that I felt that seemed incorrect, but that's what we were taught. And it just seemed, well, that's what we know. So I guess that's what we're going to go with. But just listening to your approach, it's always refreshing just hearing what people are doing that's different out there. So when you go into one of your organizations that you're consulting with now and you're starting the process, what does that look like? Does it go, you're starting off and you're doing like an assessment of what they're doing? Or is it more along the lines of that you lay down the process of this is your concept of safety and then you move forward with it? Um. I'm going to answer that in just a moment. I want to just go back to the the questions. I had a great thought that popped into my mind okay. um, uh, about you know what philosophy. Um, when I teach my students at the University of Fredericton right now, I, I want them to understand and to know about all the philosophies that are out there, and then they can make a choice as a safety professional to which one they believe and which one that they want to encompass and move forward. But they need to know about all the different philosophies that are out there, the pros, the cons, the, the, the goods and the bads, the are they right or are they wrong, so that they can formulate their own opinion and their own philosophy and how they move forward and and then be able to engage in a healthy conversation or debate to why they believe that way. That that's my firm believing. And that might come from again my my um kind of medical training because as I went from psychology I became a physical therapist, went into medicine and we were often given um, a diverse amount of studies that were out there um, and they, they didn't always have the same answer. One paper would say this is the right way, this one would be a bipolar opposite saying this is the right way and was it, they were both validated studies. Well, which one do you believe? You have to pick one and go with it, right? <laughs> That's how it feels sometimes. It's like make a choice now. Yeah, 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 and in, in healthcare, you have to do this. You, you, you kind of have to do that. You, you know, it's unless there's a better study that comes along that shows even more uh, validated information to go in that direction. So I teach my students that, but I also use that within my organizations that I may consult with, is because every organization is different. It has different structures, it has different cultures, it has a different definition on how they want to do things. So my first approach is to find out what their person is, what their definition is, and and then what do they see that they want to be when they grow up? And and it becomes a very individ, individualistic um, approach, but then I use all that information that I have behind me 
um, all those different theories to say, okay, this is how they're thinking right now. They're going to identify with this theory the best that will motivate them to become more mature, which will make them look at this theory and this theory and this theory. Um, and then this would be probably their safety nirvana or where they want to <laughs> be. Because if I tell someone that they should wear, um, you know, a, a certain type of clothing, if they're not ready to wear that kind of that style, that Paris style, they're more of a uh, South Saskatchewan um, farm aspect I as soon as I show them the Paris clothes they're gonna go no nah, I want to go back to my own jeans right sorry you're not the one for me well okay um, and maybe jeans are very appropriate for what they need to be and what they're doing and and where they need to be but the, you know that's we want them to grow into that Paris style well I have to motivate them and lead them there I have to get them to make it their choice to go and to try that out uh, and most of the time if we tell people that they're they're wrong or um they don't they don't want to go in that aspect and i guess that's where this safety differently is is speaking out saying we can't tell people that they're wrong all the time if if we are looking at how to blame or punish or uh, then we then we we turn them off and they'll start to go away from aspects but if we engage them in a positive intelligent way um where they're there's more of that thought process uh, within it, then we'll capture and engage them and we'll move forward better. Now, that's not saying that we still shouldn't have responsibilities and accountability within our systems. Because I, I think some people will latch on to, you know, oh, um, it's not all about let's hold hands and sing kumbaya and, <laughs> and and nobody's ever responsible we still have to ensure that there's responsibilities outlined and there's some accountability especially for willful purposeful acts um, but understanding again the where people are at and organizations can help you move them forward well, I, I think the interesting part is that with the safety differently group, and we'll call them that for the time being, is that there's some misconceptions on when people are first learning that, that they think that people are not going to be held responsible. Mm -hmm. And so when you go into an organization and you, number one, tell them it's a theory or philosophy, depending on however you want to word it, and you try to go down the path of accountability, how does that normally look and what does it sound like? Um... Well, we're all we're all accountable for uh, in our workplaces to provide a, a, a service or a function, right? That's we're all in a position to to get something done. And at the end of the day, that's that's how we're judged. That's a reality in life, right? I I try to instill that in my children all the time. <laughs> is that um, if you want to get paid, uh, you want to do something. Know, you can't it's not just about looking good and, and sitting there and saying nice things it, it's it's about getting a certain task or job done and so you want to make sure that the individual has the skills that are necessary to be able to to do that and by engaging um, individuals within um, their task and how they see the task to be done and uh, in a safe manner in a, the best manner and the best quality we have good courageous conversations uh, with the people who actually do the tasks that are there uh, we find that they're often more motivated and influenced in a positive way to do it to the best way possible but it also helps us identify um, other aspects of of the the job that can improve so it's not just about safety it's about quality 
improvement and so forth. So if they know how to do their job, they know what their responsibility is. We we give them this the capabilities to do it well, the skills, information. Either they come to us with that, or or we help grow that within our organizations. Um, and if we can engage them in a proper way to uh, look at how the work is done. Look at the hazard, the risk, the right control. Uh, learn from things that are going really, really well. Uh, then we can set them up to succeed versus that they're just kind of out there on on themselves. So back to the question about accountability, because um, sometimes I find I, I I go off in on a trail in, in conversation and. Um, <clears throat> oh, I was gonna, I was going to bring you back. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Did I pass you enough with my BS that I got away with the question? No, I'll, I'll bring myself. <laughs> Uh, and I, I meant being safe, totally. I know. I, I absolutely knew that's exactly what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> um, is is that people still have to know what they're responsible for, right? At the end of the day, everyone in, in the in my household, the garbage has to be taken out. If I if I just tell people everyone is responsible for taking out the garbage, what happens at the end of the week? The dogs having lunch, right? So I have to say. It's you that takes out the garbage Monday and Tuesday. You do it Wednesday, Thursday. You do it on Friday. If you do 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 it and you do it well, here's your compensation. Right? Uh, you get to go to the mall and hang out with the girlfriend. You get um, your allowance. Um, you know, uh, you get me to give you a big smile and, and hug. Right. So it, it fulfills the needs of the individuals that are doing the tasks. Um, I have to make sure they have the skills, the knowledge, the right safety gear to, to be able to do it all. Um, but if they don't do their job, I do have to hold them accountable. I would probably start to engage them in a conversation to ask, you know, what were the barriers? Um, why why did you succeed at vacuuming, but you didn't take the garbage out? You know, how can we spread the success from vacuuming to taking out the garbage? Um, and... and in those aspects, but sometimes at the end of the day, it's just somebody saying, I don't want to do that. And so I didn't do it. And, and then you go, well, but that's not an option in your employee here. <laughs> it, it's, you know, it's a part of your role and your responsibility. So it's balancing it out. It's finding out why do they not want to do it? Um, is there some way we can make it more pleasant for you or to meet some type of need um, that's there? But at the end of the day, someone's still... Um, may need to be held accountable if it is that willful purposeful yeah i'm just not going to do it aspect i don't know did that make sense no that, that, that yeah no that makes sense and what happens is that sometimes there is just that misunderstanding piece of because it's safety differently it might not work in certain aspects and they're always concerned about well it's the presence of safeguards and there's nothing wrong with it i think the theory is actually great and the philosophy is great but sometimes i think that the responsibility and accountability piece sometimes is misunderstood and with you going around so many different sections of the world i figured let's ask you the question because you get to see a little bit of everything yeah. well and someone said to me oh isn't this a great new philosophy and and i remember turning to them going no, it's just a different coat of lipstick. Um, I, I guess I've always tried to engage people. I've always been of the philosophy that the more that we can engage people and and look at what we're doing really well and how we can spread that um, into other areas of the organization, um, that 
that, that we would be more successful than if we don't. And so I guess when people said, oh, it's this new thing, I was like, well, number one, th there is no magic wand to health and safety. If there was a magic wand, um, I would have sold it and it would, I'd be on a beach. In the <laughs> well, no, I'd probably still be doing the same thing that I'm doing. But um, but th there is no magic wand. It's, it's really finding out where individuals and organizations are in their headspace and their definitions and working with them to to take them on their individual journey to where they need and want to be when it comes to health and safety interesting aspect because you mentioned that and you say that it's a new coat of lipstick but it, the funny part is that a lot of people don't realize that this new view of safety quote unquote has been around for about 30 years and it was something that the department of the energy department of energy actually put together and still a lot of power industries and oil and gas are really turning into this so it's we'll say newer but it's just depending on how you look at it yeah yeah like i, I think a lot of our concepts um and maybe it's when you've been around in safety a long time, you, you start to see things come full circle. I, again, to see uh, Dr. Andrew Hopkins talk about uh, that structure can affect culture when he's been um, you know, talking about culture and its purity for so many years, to see him now come around to that with a paper where we're seeing it come full circle, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people have even practiced things by instinct or by... Uh, this was what was comfortable for me, or this is my background, um, and it spread somewhat, um, but we've never put a name or a term to it. It's never had a uh, that concept title, where now people, I, I think that's a, a real thing, is we need to give it a title and a philosophy, and a, um, so people exactly know what we're talking about. And I, th and I think that's where we run into an issue as safety professionals, is that we have so many different brandings for the same concept. Because, yeah. like you were saying a few moments ago, safety two, safety one, sa new view safety, safety differently. It's so many different things. And a lot of them are very, very similar, taking the safety one aspect, of course, out of it. But it's just amazing on how everybody tries to brand, we'll say, quote unquote, their little niche with it when some of the information is kind of the same across the board. But that's just me talking from a consultant point of view, of course. Well, if I take it back again to my roots, if we take it back to um, psychological philosophies, you know, they wanted to pigeonhole you as you were either a behaviorist or a cognitive or a Freudian or, a, you know, like you, you believed in Carl Jung's theory. You, you know, you had to uh, almost fit into a niche when I was um, again into medicine. It was, well, what philosophy do you practice from? You know, well, are you a physical therapist? What do you believe? You know, do you believe chiropractors are any good? Oh, they're a charlatan. So, <laughs> you know, no, no, they, no, they have a purpose, right? So my biggest thing was understanding. I, I would tell people what the difference between a massage therapist, a physical therapist, and a chiropractor was. And that in certain circumstances, each one of these things were appropriate, um, but you had to make sure that it was appropriate. Uh, if, if you were trying to use a chiropractor to solve what a massage therapist should be solving, 
then it was going to be inappropriate. Well, I see that in health and safety as well, is we have to look at the situation that the individual and the organization or the departments, whatever issue that we're trying to solve, whatever we're trying to get better to that next level, we have to take a look at that situation. And then we have to go, what is the best way to take it to the next level? If we are just a general practitioner that um, writes a prescription for painkillers or antibiotics for everything, we don't get we don't get the effect that we want at the end of the day. And, and that's where it sometimes worries me when we go with a theory or a philosophy is, oh, slap this on this diagnosis, slap this cure all on it, and you're going to help this company. Well, but if it's not appropriate for that company because where they are in their personality or their maturity level, then they're going to be burnt. Oh, I tried that behavior-based safety thing and it didn't work. Well, yeah, you didn't implement it properly and it wasn't right for you at this time. You should have done this, this, and this first and then done that program component. Yeah, you're essentially doing the company a disservice and I love the way that you actually approach that answer. I have a question for you and it's going to be on topic but off topic at the same time. What has surprised you the most in your safety career so far? What has kind of thrown you for a loop that you didn't expect? Oh, and don't uh, say it was that question. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, a couple of things come to my mind. I'm just struggling over which one I want to talk about. Because um, a couple of things have, have surprised me. Um, I... I think the, yeah, I'm jumping back and forth between the two. Uh, you, you can give us both. We're, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think the one thing that has surprised me and continues to surprise me is where people and organizations still do not see the benefit of having a sound safety management system that runs parallel, I want to say parallel, integrated with other systems within their organization. So I'm kind of looping a couple of my topics together. Um, so motivation of individuals um, would be one. It still surprises me out there that sometimes people don't see safety the way I do. Right. It, and I think that maybe surprises everyone. If your definition set is from, and my opinion is this, when you see people who have the, uh, an opposing opinion that you're like, wow, what are they thinking? Right. And so I guess it continues to surprise me what sometimes people say um, and do when it comes to safety, that that some people are still willing to hurt others. Um and, and it's, again, I don't think they purposefully, you know, they're not going out and saying, well, I want to kill 10 people this year, but they're just looking at it as it's, 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 it can be still okay. I, again, I do um, safety globally. And so, yes, definitely there's some countries and some areas that they see people as just a, a common resource. Well, when that one's done, we'll just get a new one. It's no big deal. And people go, oh yeah, that's those third world countries and, and I'm like no it, it, it's it's North America at times where they're kind of like well there's always someone that will replace them and yeah we don't want people to get hurt but you know it's just how we kind of still do business that still surprises me that there's still some companies and individuals that are out there that are that are not caring enough right <laughs> and there's, there's my 
my heart that comes out in that. Well, I mean, it, it, it comes about to that we're so far down the path that you would think that almost all organizations in North America would be further down. And when you, just as you worded, when you kind of go back and take a look and you go, no, it's not a third world country. It's here in North America. People tend to have that look of, are you sure? Like, are, are you lost in time? But no, yeah. there are organizations yeah. that are just still behind in the times. Yeah, and, and how they can see that health and safety is not just about making sure that your people are, are, are cool and safe and, and that they go home, but, you know, it's the sustainability of your organization, it's the sustainability of your business, it's, it's you know, it's legal liabilities. There's so many aspects and positive things that come from having a good, sound safety program and system. Um, and, and it boggles my mind that people think, and, and I, this is the I'm surprised in my profession. So one is in the, the world that there's still people out there who you know don't think this is a good idea um, or don't even give it a second thought. Then there's other people in my profession that I'm so surprised that we create a safety management system. Oh, we'll, we'll use 45,003 or the old 18 or, or whatever ANSI or CSA standard. And this is how we're going to create it. And they create it with different processes, different uh, documents, different look, different feel than all the other processes that the organization goes through. So people have to get out of how we normally do business, how is our set process and philosophy, how our documents look, where we go to get our documents, um, and they'll, they'll go to a totally different system to do the safety aspect. And so that still boggles my mind that we're, we're not integrating it into the verbiage and how people do their work in every other way in an organization. We have the ball of safety that kind of sits out on the side. It was interesting because I had a conversation with James Skipper Kendrick a, a while back, and he he had made reference to almost the exact same thing, that some of the worst things that we can do as a company is put a separate title on safety management system, this kind of different system in regards of it having pertaining just to safety alone, and that it needs right. to be combined entirely inside of the organization. Well, and, and Skipper would contend to that is one of the reasons why people then crawfish, right? Um, I love him to death and I have one of his purple t-shirts with the crawfish <laughs> on it, um, you know, is that when you start poking it, what do they do? They start to back up. And, and if you put something that's too different in front of them, it's not that ease that, that people can go into it and adapt to it. Plus, they also have to change their mindset to get out of what they're doing within their maintenance system and structure or how they run their operations and get out of it, go into the safety one and then uh, get out of the safety one to go back into operations. And so um, we're leaving too big of a, a gap, I think, for uh, people to be able to assimilate that within their schemas. Um, and then that creates a, a trap for them, right? It, it creates almost a decision to error situation for individuals because they're more comfortable and used to and they spend the majority of their time in this focus, it's too hard for them to pull out and to go into another to pull the information in. So we have to integrate better. That surprises me that we're not integrating more and better. But then that goes back to an organizational's definition. Is They usually want us to set up a policy and a program, get us get the documentation in line so that we can 
be VPPP or we can be um, on on ISN Networld and get our bid. But don't worry about integrating it too much because we'll do that as time goes on and time keeps going on and nothing gets integrated. You know, so, so don't don't get me wrong. There's some organizations that grasp hold of this and and go forward. And there's some of them out there, and I absolutely love working with them. And then there's some that are on the other side. So you've got organizations that are along the whole part of the spectrum that's theirs. Maybe that's the goal that we need to put as as an industry going forward by 2020. If we can get everybody in regards to, on the same lines in regards of understanding that it should all be tied into one, opposed to it being these separate entities inside of your own individualized organization. Now, Eldine, let me ask you a quick question. If people want more information about you, where can they find you? Um, they could Google me. That- <laughs> I know. You're not a very difficult person to find, but I figured I'd throw that out there regardless. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Always Google Eldine. You know, I've got one of those wonderful names. Like Eldine is very unique. Um, it's actually needle spelt backwards. Did you know that? No, I did not. But I yeah. that that is that that might end up being your title of your well, of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My parents must have thought I was going to be sharp. You know, I try never to be dull. I try to get to the point. I, I could go on forever, but I won't. Um, <laughs> definitely Googling or um, they can look me up by my website, uh, posniaksafety.com. Um, uh, I can be found that way. Uh, my email address is ldine at posniaksafety.com. So anybody can feel free to drop me a, an email and I uh, try to reply in a timely manner. Um, this <laughs> And then just one one other quick question. Are you having any events that are coming up that are open to the general public where they might be able to see you speak? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to be at the SIA conference in Sydney, Australia in uh, May. Um, that's coming up. i got to take a look at my calendar the exact days because some days I'm, uh, uh, I've got more individual companies uh coming up uh, sooner where it's more closed but uh, I'm doing a workshop in uh, Sydney Australia um, safety make it stick on the 21st of May and then on the 22nd 23rd I'm actually emceeing the conference and doing the closing keynote um, so that is uh, open to the public I'm at the ASSP uh, in New Orleans the American Society of Safety Professionals I do a workshop um, within the global certificate for managing safety prior to the conference and then I'm uh, speaking on a panel and then a concurrent session on the Tuesday the 11th and Wednesday Um, and then uh, the Canadian Society of Safety uh, Engineering I'm going to be at their conference not speaking but I'll be there I'll be at the National Safety Council in San Diego Uh, I can have a workshop on safety leadership and the power of emotional intelligence before the conference starts. And then I talk about multicultural considerations and safety. Uh, Actually, I'm one of their uh, top 10 speakers this year. Congratulations. uh, Again, I'm I'm here, there and everywhere. So um, uh, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. In other words, just look for me. You'll find me one way, shape or form. Well, Eldine, I really do appreciate you coming on to Safety FM. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It was great to talk with you, Tiffany Jane. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. SafetyFM.com Hi, everybody. Todd Conklin. I know lots of you get your information while you drive down the road or sit on planes or sit in meetings and look interested. And now you should know that three of my books are available for your listening pleasure on Audible. With the help of Jay Allen and Safety FM, we've produced three of the books, Workplace Fatalities, The Five Principles of Human Performance, and my very first book, Simple Revolutionary Acts, and they're available now where you get audiobooks. Could you imagine changing the derogatory, incorrect information on your credit report by a click of a button? How would that make you feel? What if I told you this one book could change your credit history forever? The best part? It's yours. Absolutely free. Go to issueswithcredit.com. No gimmicks. No information required. Just click on the link and download. Issueswithcredit.com. We're here to help. Wow, how things can change from one week to the next. Hey, hope everybody out there is staying healthy. I know everything is super crazy. We feel disoriented by the COVID-19 virus. It's more important than ever to stay connected and check in with your loved ones. That's why I'm so happy I've got T-Mobile. Listen, T-Mobile isn't just talking the talk. They're taking measures right now to make life easier for everyone by doing the right thing for their customers during this really critical time. For example, T-Mobile has ensured all current customers with data plans have access to unlimited smartphone data on their network for two months. We're all in this together. T-Mobile truly believes that. And while many T-Mobile stores are temporarily closed to help keep customers and employees healthy, they've still got you covered with any help you need. Just check out T-Mobile.com. You can see what stores are still open and how you can manage your account online. Stay safe out there. During congestion, customers using more than 50 gigs a month may notice reduced speeds prioritization. Video typically at 480p, capable device required. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 44-0 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case, and you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.